0: All right, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and we are in week three of this series about God's promises. Um, And you know, as I've been thinking about this series and even even that video, which I think is great, uh, maybe you've heard this idea, you need to know God's promises so you can claim them, right? This this name it and claim it. If you know it, it's yours and you have the right to it. That's always bugged me. And and I'll tell you why, because it's about me, this kind of this proud, like, claim it, like God promised, I deserve it. But yet there is some truth in that. Like if God says it, and I would say anything that God says is a promise. Like he doesn't need to pinky swear. Um, in fact, that's what I wanted to call this series, God's Pinky Swears of Hope. Um, and Katie struck it down. Um, <laughs> rightly so. But, but God, if God says it, it's, it's a promise because he doesn't lie. And, and we don't claim it in a proud way, like I deserve it, but more of maybe a humbly, I want to know it so I can experience it for my good, but in submission to him, so there's kind of a different heart to that, but knowing what he promises helps us know what we can expect and what we can somewhat claim again, not not selfishly, proudly claim, um, but how it applies to us, and, and humbly receive that. so today we're going to talk about everybody 's favorite topic: sin. We, what are god 's promises with sin? Uh, let me ask a question, and don't raise your hand because everybody will judge you. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever asked yourself this or asked others maybe openly this? How far is too far when it comes to sin? This was one of those things we did ask. I remember being in high school, and we'd go to youth group, and it was one of the things we'd ask the youth pastor. How far is too far? Right? Okay, there's this girl I like. There's this guy I like. like how far can we get away with? and that's the wrong question. Really, right? Cuz the idea of that, how far is too far? That's a law question. That's a religion question. That is I want sin up until it affects my eternal salvation, right? I want Jesus cuz what he'll give me eternally, but I also want as much sin as I can get now. And that is totally the wrong heart for a believer. Right? That that again is more of a religion You know, Or I do these things, what do I have to do to pay for it so I can keep doing these things and then I'll do my Hail Marys or whatever, you know, and and pay for it. Rather than this relationship of, no, I want to walk in godliness, in holiness, rather than how far is too far. And when we think about sin, you know, as believers, I think there's two extremes we can go to. One is that we don't think about it at all. And so I would ask you that. Now, when's the last time you thought about sin in your own life? When, when is the last time you recognized sin, were convicted of sin, wanted to do something about it? We're, were even a little bit grieved about your sin? By the way, that's an okay thing when you see sin in your life, to be grieved because the Holy Spirit is grieved by open sin in our lives. And so one extreme, though, is to not think about sin. It's the idea of I'm saved by grace, and so it doesn't matter what I do. Right? I'm saved anyway, and I have eternal life, so now I can just do what I want. And a lot of American churches and whole denominations have kind of gone that way right? Do whatever you want. Jesus died for you. Or they might not even talk about that, honestly, because if Jesus died for you, that meant he had to die for something, for sin, which means sin is a big deal. So that's one extreme. We don't really think about sin, you know, we're just kind of religious. Or the other extreme is sin is such a big deal, I'm, I'm wallowing in guilt and misery all the time. I'm in shame for the things that I've done, right? Or I'm tempted by something and I'm destroyed by, oh, woe is me, like I'm so dirty and nasty. Well, that's not okay either, Because on that side, you can become judgmental on yourself and and others, right? And so that's a different view. That's an extreme view missing out on God's forgiveness and God's cleansing that he wants to give us. So we are going to look at sin, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. In fact, we're going to read the whole chapter today, Romans 6. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the cage in front of you. And in that Bible, it's page 1043, page 1043. Now, I want to tell you right up front what my desire is for today. My desire is that you leave here confident and encouraged. Maybe that you need to make some changes, but I, my goal is not that you walk out of here beaten down and shameful, right? That God is against me because of my sin. That's not it at all, right? So if maybe you're one of those and you're looking at this Christian thing, you're kind of curious, but you say, I can't come to Jesus until I get myself cleaned up, right? Maybe you'll hear this and go, oh, I am sinful, I am. I need to get better and then come to Jesus. Wrong answer, you can't do it, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he wants us just as we are in all of our dirtiness and filth, and then he wants to clean us up. So I'm hoping, again, we will walk away encouraged, but maybe enlightened a little bit as well. So before we get into this, though, we need to define sin. So what is, what is sin? Very simple definition here for you. Sin is anything you say, think, do, or not do that is different from what God wants. Simply put, right? It's different from what God wants. There are sins of omission, right? By not doing something, sometimes we think, if I just don't do anything, I won't sin. Well, that can be sin too. And there's sins of Commission, right? Things that you do that are against what God would want. Uh, Very simply, we can kind of look at God's Ten Commandments, which are Old Testament under law, but yet most of them, all really but one, are repeated in the New Testament as part of God's law. So although we are under grace, there still are expectations and things that God has for us. So we look at that list, right? Don't, Don't have any gods before the one true God. So idolatry. Don't worship anything else. That would be sin. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery, right? Don't lie, don't murder, duh. <laughs> I mean, right, we go down those and Jesus would take that list and make it harder because that list was, was under the law, right? So if you do these things, then you go do it and you pay for it in this way and that was kind of their, their system under the Mosaic law. Jesus would come and say, hey, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. If you lust, you're guilty of adultery. And the response was rightly, well then, what do we do? Like we're all hosed, and the answer is, yep, <laughs> it is. Yes, you are. Good news: Jesus deals with our sin, and so that's what we want to look at today. Though, is that Jesus deals with our sin, and as we before we get in, I, I want to make a couple points real quick. Right, one: everyone has sinned. Romans three twenty three. Right, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Very important. All have sinned. I have actually met with people talking about sin. They're like, I've never sinned. like, really? Never. You've never told a lie? Nope. Now you're guilty. (laughs) Right? (laughs) All have sinned. And here's the second point we have to get. And this is Romans 6.23. Sin earns for every person physical and eternal death in hell. Right? Romans 6.23. And that's the last verse in the chapter we're looking at. Right? For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll get to that. Let's look at the first part. A lot of times we skip over the first part. The wages of sin is death. Meaning, all have sinned. We're all guilty, right, of something. And what we deserve, a wage, right, what you earn when you work. You, you go work, you deserve your 15 bucks an hour, 20, whatever it is. You earned it. If you have sinned, you have earned death, which is physical and eternal death in hell. So, hell is a real place right? It was created for the devil and his angels, his fallen angels, and non-believers in this life will end up there also. It's called the lake of fire, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a real place where we will go if we reject Jesus. So the wages of sin is death. Now, after salvation, we still deal with sin, right? Before we get into chapter six, because this is a part, important part of what we see in chapter six in Romans. After we're saved, There's still a struggle with sin, but something changes. We're in these bodies called flesh, right? And the flesh is indwelt by sin because of Adam and Eve and passing it on, and we've all sinned. And so there's a brokenness about us that is in process of being healed. There's kind of the already and not yet of what Jesus did. So sin is still a struggle for the believer, which is why we need Romans chapter 6. So turn to Romans 6, starting in verse 1. Verse 1. What shall we say then? <clears throat> Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? That's a, that's a legit question. Should we continue to If we're under grace, here, here's the logic. The more I sin, the more grace God gives, the more glory he gets. Oh, I, right? That's the argument. Then I could continue to sin. He says, by no means. And that's a very strong statement. It's a, it's a big heck no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? rose from the dead. When we trust him for our salvation, we place our faith in him, we believe he died, we believe he rose, we declare him Lord, right? We are united with him so that we too might walk in newness of life. His whole point is that we don't walk in sin any longer. Simply put, a newness of life. We live differently. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's the gospel in verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Right? But the life he lives, he lives to God. The point is that we are baptized, we mirror him. We're united with him, meaning we've also died to sin. Again, it's still present, but we're not enslaved by it anymore. We died to sin so we can live for him. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What's the theme we see here? It's the theme of slavery. Before we know Christ, we are enslaved to sin, meaning we are going to sin, we have to sin, we are sinners. It's who we are, it's our identity. When we're saved, we're made a new person. He's saying, walk as the new person you are. God looks at you as righteous, right, forgiven in him. We are are different, and so we walk that way. Slavery, but as we see here, we can step back into that life. Believers can step back in, and there's a rub that we're gonna pull out in here a little bit. As believers, we can live like the old man, and it's destructive. But also, there are those within the church who walk like the old man who never were really saved. That's throughout the New Testament. That should strike fear in us a little bit, not that we can't have confidence in our salvation because we can, but there are those who who will claim verbally, right, I'm part of God, but they just live in sin because they, they don't actually know him. And that should be, you know, if that's one of us, we should be a little bit afraid and then encouraged to turn to him. But the the difference, again, is submitting to him. Uh, I really like verse 11, right? He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider, that's actually an accounting term, Uh, to reckon, right? If you like old uh, John Wayne movies, reckon i reckon i mean that, that's what that word actually means another trends. reckon i reckon i add it up so consider yourselves dead to sin right it's kind of m- mental right right but that we think about it we look at it jesus died for me i'm united with him add it all up two plus two right i consider myself dead to sin right so then when sin presents its stuff to us we're going to get into this that's not who i am anymore i've added it up that's not me this is who I am. I'm pursuing Jesus now. I'm not pursuing this. We consider ourselves dead to sin so that we recognize the truth we are in Christ and we walk that way. Now, let's just continue. Let's finish the chapter and we'll dig in. Uh, look at verse 15. What then? He asks the same question Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Is it, yeah, amen. The gospel is really good news. The gospel is also really bad news. It is. For the one who will reject Jesus, the truth we, we see here is that the wages of sin is death. We see that two times, three times actually, in, in those 15 verses. That the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. That's the bad news. Culture will tell you sin is no big deal. Do whatever you want, right? As long as you're good in your heart, God will accept. No. The truth is sin leads to death. Physical and eternal death. That's the truth. And so we have to start with the bad news so that we can understand the good news, right? I love verse 21. This is really helpful. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Meaning, all the sin we were doing before, I mean, look back, like, what did you benefit? (laughs) Like, what? oh man, I'm sure glad I did that because I got this great thing, right? No, those things that we did we're kind of ashamed we did, there was no fruit in that. So as believers now, even more so, if we pursue sin, what good fruit is there? None. None. Rather, when we pursue Christ, there's a fruit called sanctification, meaning we become more like Jesus. So there's the good fruit. I love how he puts that. Sin, right? We're pursuing something we want to fill us, right? We want to feel something. We want to experience something. And most of those things we're looking for are good things right? Whatever it there They're they're things that God gave us that are are good and we're pursuing to fill them in the wrong way. And and so the fruit is negative. Yet when we pursue Christ, he gives us the results that we want. The peace, right? The joy, the contentment, right? Security. I want to be rich. I'm pursuing money because I want security. Well, do you remember a few years ago when the market crashed and People in their 80s are going back to Walmart to be greedy. There is no security in, in, in a love of money, but there is a security in Christ, and we're going to see that coming up too. So the fruit that we are trying to get from sin is not good fruit. Only from Christ we get the good fruit. So now, with all that, bear with me. We're going to jump around. We're going to look at some promises when it comes to sin. We start with this idea. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a huge deal. And by the way, death, it does refer to eternal death and hell. It also refers to a, a destructiveness. In the life of a believer, sin brings destructive results. Absolutely true. Relationally, economically, go down the list. Sin can destroy your life. You, you may be saved and let sin destroy your life here. That's not God's plan. So here's the first promise. If you were here last week, you're going to think this is redundant because it is. Promise one, you're not alone. You are not Alone, one of Satan's greatest tools is to make us feel uniquely dirty, bad. We're the only one dealing with this thing. Guess what? You are not unique. Romans 3:23, which we already quoted, "For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." So we are in good company and bad company. We have all sinned. We're all in the same boat. I'm not sure why uh, some self-righteous religious people pretend like they haven't sinned, right? And then they get to judge others. No, we're all kind of in that same boat. In fact, 1 John, John will say, if anyone is, says he is without sin, he's a liar. Meaning, there's still sin we're struggling with. And if you say you don't struggle with it anymore, John would say, you're a liar. Meaning, we know you're still kind of messed up. Hopefully, you're on the grow. And we can do it together. We're not alone. That is really good news, actually. 1 Corinthians 10.13, we quoted this one last week. Here it is in context. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. First thing, common to man. You are not uniquely messed up. You might be messed up, but you're not unique in that. Right? There is somebody in this room that struggles with the same thing you do. There is somebody in this room that probably struggles with that same thing worse than you do. All right? Now, not everybody struggles with the same things, but there are lots of people that struggle with the same things you struggle with. Meaning, you're not alone. Alright, I do want to show hands on this one. How ma- and No judgment. How many of you have stood on the edge of a cliff or something high up and been tempted either to jump, like just for a second, and again, this isn't suicidal, but tempted like to jump or push somebody. Raise your hand. Okay. That's, that's close to what studies show. Studies have shown when they've done, they've actually studied this. Um, it's about 50-50, meaning one out of two people have had that urge. Uh, the French did a study and they, they labeled it really well. They call it the call of the void, right? That's, that's kind of poetic, the call of the void. And it's, the studies done, they're not suicidal. They're trying to figure like, why? Why is it? Like, One out of two people, 50% of us, we get there and we're like, I should jump. Whoop, nope. We can share that, right? That's weird. (laughs) But half of us have dealt with that. And the rest of you are like, you guys are messed up. Here's my point, though, with that your your sin, your past sin, your current temptation, you're not alone. Right, and, and maybe you've experienced that, you've shared, man, I, even right there, like, I thought I was the only one tempted to jump. I thought I was weird. And you look around, you're encouraged. Everybody else is weird too, not that you're not weird. There's some encouragement with that, that we are not alone. Now, this is why I think groups can be great, AA groups, right, where alcoholics can get together. And um, I, I struggle with one part, and some of you will disagree with me, and I agree with your disagreement. Um, but getting together, like, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic, identifying with your sin. I struggle with that um, a little bit because we are not identified with our sin anymore, but yet at the same time, there is value in confessing that. Here's my struggle, and, and, and we agree. Okay, we find some camaraderie, and that can go one of two ways. We can go to the bar and find that. Hey, we're all drunks, and we accept each other, and this is great. Or we can get in a group, right, that, that hey, we don't want to be this way, and now we have some camaraderie to be healed, right, to get healthy in that. So, Again, I think groups are really important in this because God has given us one another. God has given us one another. Right? We share a love for God. We share a desire for holiness. And if we have the Holy Spirit, we do have a desire for righteousness. We do. We might struggle with sin. And guess what? Most of us do. Right? But our heart is, if we are saved, our heart is pointed toward God. We love him. We want to do right. And we have one. We can share that. Hey, here's my desire, and here's what I'm struggling with. I mean, even, even Paul, who wrote, writes Romans 6, in the next chapter, he's like, oh, woe is me. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I hate doing, I keep doing. You know, wretched man that I am. Like, this is, he wrote a third of the New Testament. Again, sin, sin is real. We're in good company. So God has given us one another. We have this epidemic, and it's, it's through the news nowadays, this epidemic of loneliness, Right, that COVID caused it became okay for us to be at home, and not a show of hands who actually liked that. Um, but we have an epidemic of loneliness. Right again, one of Satan's great tools is to have us retreat alone. We are not intended to be alone. At the very beginning, right, God made Adam, and He said, "It's not good that man be alone." Not not just marriage, right? The beginning answer to that was marriage, but not all of us are called to be married. But we're not called to do life alone. James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. The context there is somebody sick because of sin. They're struggling with sin and they can't fix it. So they go to other spiritually strong people and say, will you pray for me? And it's their faith that helps heal this person of their sickness and their their sin, right? Doing it together. Confession And accountability is what this boils down to. Confession and accountability. Now, parents, uh, you think as your kids grow, right, you need to, they're growing up, we need to release them of accountability. Guess what? Do you need to be released from accountability? Parents, we do this often way too early, right? Our kids have the phones and access to everything. Most adults need accountability on their phones. So your kids do too. Don't, Don't think you're a bad parent because you're keeping tabs on what they're doing. Now, also... God has given us himself. We're not alone. We have one another and we have God. Hebrews 13, five through six. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. This verse is amazing. This little couple of verses. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content. How can we be content with what we have? Because we have Christ. That's what he said. Jesus is enough. Right? We don't need to strive after more and more and more because Jesus is enough. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? If you have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, his presence in your life does not come and go. Like it did in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come and go on people. Not anymore. You have the Holy Spirit all the time. Permanent. He's given them given us himself, and he understands. This is the other part. We're going to be in Hebrews in a a few weeks, and I can't wait for this, but he understands. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, that's referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, meaning he understands. He actually understands our temptation. He, he did not sin, right? He never experienced sin, but he has mercy and compassion on us. Here's the point. Here's the, with this so far from promise one, When you're tempted, when you struggle with sin, do not go away from God, lean into God. Do not lean away from his people, lean into his people. You will find grace, mercy, and compassion. That's what will happen when you lean into God and into his people. But the devil and our temptation is when we sin, oh, I look dirty, I'm gonna lean away. I'm gonna stop being vulnerable and honest, right? I'm gonna hide this, or I'm gonna try and get better myself first, then I can step in, then I look good. No, lean in, find mercy. All right, promise two. Promise two, and this one might be the the big one for some of us today. Your sin is forgiven. Your sin is forgiven. Now, this is a promise to the believer. This is not a promise to a non-believer. This is to the one who says, I believe Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and I confess that he is Lord of my life. And and in that is is repentance, right, turning to follow him, confession, right? You are forgiven, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. If we confess our sins, not we are faithful. He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who are we to think in our pride our sin is greater than God's forgiveness? Jesus God took on flesh. He went to the cross. He was beaten before he went unrecognizable as a man and died for our sin. And now God is gonna look at yours and go, no, it's too big. No, no. Jesus did that so we could be forgiven and so we could know it. You know, 1 John 1, 9 there, notice this is not ritual confession. Again, this is one of the things that the Catholic church specifically has done very wrong, right? Live however you want. Do your sins and then come confess it and somebody can forgive you. Great, I mean, honestly, can I can I be honest? I'm not a pastor right now. That sounds awesome. I could go do whatever I want, right? Whatever, and then I come here and just tell him, and and it's good, and I can go do it again tomorrow as long as I come and tell him, and I'll be honest, that doesn't sound awesome because that road leads to death, destructiveness. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a confession where I see my sin and I don't like it, although I struggle with it, I don't like it, and so I repent meaning I, I confess, I, I tell God and tell one another, so, tell somebody else, and I turn. I rep- it's, a, it's a turn, 180 degree turn to go a different direction. That's what this is talking about. A true confession, I don't want to be this way. Now, I'll be honest. I think sometimes there's this, uh, the confession is, God, I, I've sinned, and I, I've, I liked it, and I want to do it again. But God, because I know you, and I know that's not best for me, I don't want to do it again. I mean, that sounds a little bit weird, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Where you're attracted to it, but you wish you weren't. Um, and, and you did it and you liked it, but you wish you didn't do it. That's part of being human. We go to God even with that. God, I, please, I want to not want that. I mean, I've asked that plenty of times. God, I don't want to want this sin anymore. Proverbs 28:13 makes the same point. The one who conceals their sin will not prosper. The one who confesses and forsakes sin will find compassion. Again, confesses and forsakes. They confess to go away from it, not to find confirmation or not as just a cover. By the way, no human has the ability to forgive sin like Christ. That's a lie. And there's certain even evangelical denominations that think a pastor has the power to forgive sin. Uh Uh-uh. But guess what? I do have the power to tell you, if you confess, you repent, God will forgive you your sin. We all have that ability to tell one another and others that if you truly repent and turn, he will forgive your sin. No person has that authority. So here's the point of this one. If we are forgiven, feel free to move on without guilt and shame. Please. Feel free to move on without guilt and shame. That's in the past. You know, again, that Garth Brooks song, bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking out. We do that with each other, right? We forgive, but we... Yeah, I'll bring it up later if it's helpful. God doesn't do that. He doesn't. Forgiven, covered, done, right? Even prayer before service today, as far as the east is from the west, so our sin has been removed. Can't even see it, gone. I wanna go back to what we talked about at the beginning, consider, reckon. That's true. Now you need to reckon that that's true. You need to consider that in your life that's true because it is true, And Jesus, again, was tempted. So promise three, this is important. We already saw Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not sin. This, again, for some of us, might be the great promise we needed today. Temptation is not sin. Maybe you've experienced this. Oh, I've been a believer for so long. I shouldn't struggle with this thing anymore. This temptation should no longer be part of my life. Well, guess what? Temptation is not sin. James 1, 13 to 15. Jesus' half-brother writes this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Scripture is so consistent that sin leads to death. But I want you to go before that. What's the process? A person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Not all our desires are bad. In fact, a lot of our desires at the root are are a desire for something good. But then the the test, right, the lure is to fill that desire in a wrong way. Jesus, right, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, one of the things the devil tempted him, he brought him up to a high point and he said, look, I will give you the nations of the earth. Okay, that was a temptation for a good thing because Jesus would be king over all the world. He would have all the nations, but he was gonna die to get it. He was gonna die to have that authority. It's interesting, even theologically, that Satan had the authority to give that because in sin, we gave that authority to Satan. And so Satan could give Jesus that and said, you could get this and you don't have to die. You don't have to take away the sins of the world. You don't have to take upon yourself the sins of the world. And Jesus said no, right? That was a real temptation for him. Instead, he, went through, he, went, he got a good thing the right way. He went to death for it. And so again, these desires often are are good, but a lure, this is hunting and and fishing terms, right? Lure. It's something bobbing there. Ooh, that looks good. That looks good. And then we go and check it out. We're in tight, right? And we move toward it. And that gives birth to sin when we go and we we take a bite. I remember fishing one point in a pond that was stocked, lots of fish sitting up on this tower so I could see them all, you know, and I drop it in, bloop and I'm watching, and they come up, and they sniff, and they go away. Like, come on, right? That's a perfect picture, right? This, like, I see it, and I'm attracted to it. That's not sin yet, right? We say, I'm attracted to it, but no, I'm not gonna fill it the wrong way. That's the right answer. Temptation is not sin. And let me tell you this. There's gonna be times when, when you're going great with God, and temptation increases. Why? Because the devil wants to take you down, <laughs> Right, if we in our sin go, go Satan's way, we negate what God wants to do in our life, in our hearts, and through us. Meaning, Satan wins; he can win in that. And so, we might be tempted more when God wants to do great things, right? Or when we are already being used by God. So, temptation is not sin. And the other thing we see in, in uh, uh, the First Corinthians there, in First Corinthians ten thirteen, right, is that God always provides a way out of temptation. Always. There's always a way out. We, we can never say the devil made me do it, right? Or I had no way. I had to do it. No, there's always a way out of temptation. So, the wages of sin is death. Death will destroy your life. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And now we can walk, right? We're, we're in a group. We're not alone. We have one another. We have Christ, right? There is a way out of temptation, Temptation is not sin. So what is our last promise? Instead of thinking of our own sin, I want to think of somebody else's sin. How many times has someone else's sin hurt you? Right? Somebody's taken advantage of you. Uh, Someone has done something significant to you, and you, you have that pain, right? And you hold on to unforgiveness. In fact, there's a piece of you that thinks it's up to you to get them back by not forgiving, Right? You get them back by holding on to it. Right? If I let this go, they win. Well, here's the other promise promise four God will judge sin so you don't have to. This is freedom. And some of you right here are holding on to unforgiveness to somebody because it was so bad. I cannot forgive them. I cannot let this go. And I'm not saying that you then trust this person again. Scripture doesn't say that. I'm not saying that you you ignore it all, you know, and you enter back. No, there's maybe boundaries and things that need to be put up, but you can forgive. It's not up to you to judge, right? Or to bring the, the sentencing. Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What's he saying there? God cares about all the wrongs done to you. He sees. In fact, every tear that you have spelt, the picture here is that God put it in a bottle. He remembers. Wow. God is not distant, right? Our Lord Jesus who came in flesh, he's close. He sees your grieving. He sees your pain. He sees how you have been wounded and he cares deeply. And he's, he's keeping track of it. And in Romans 12, 19 says this, beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will judge at the right time. And if God chooses to do it differently than you would, guess what? He's right. This gives us the freedom to forgive. If we are forgiven, we can be forgiving. There is so much freedom in this. Again, God will judge, justice will Be done, we can trust him. We don't have to hold on to unforgiveness. So, as we wrap up, I want to look back real quick at verse 23, Romans 6 23. For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. Death is destructive. Believer, death will destroy your life, it could destroy somebody else's life. Death is destructive. If you are here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, death leads to eternal damnation in a place called hell. That's the truth. But the good news is the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news. And that's the other thing I wanna bring out real quick as we wrap this up, as we've seen through here, right? We are free not to walk in sin, but to walk in righteousness. And what is it? Eternal life. A lot of times we get wrapped up that eternal life is later. And so it doesn't matter what I do now. That word life, I love that word. It's not the Greek word for biology, like physical bios. It's the Greek word zoe which means life. It means life to the fullest. It means life as God intended it. I love that word, right? I mean, the picture really is of Adam and Eve before they sinned in the garden and they got the great grapes, right? And they're, they're riding a giraffe. And I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking life, not without sin. That's the life he's talking about, of joy, of peace, of hope, of purpose, of good relationships. That can start, eternal life starts now not later. Eternal life starts now and then goes into eternity, and it will be perfected when Jesus returns. But this is the life he wants us now, eternal life. And the way that we can hinder that eternal life, that that great life now, or what we call the abundant life, is letting sin reign in our bodies, is continuing to obey sin. So as we wrap up, we're going to continue to worship Uh, And we often talk about next steps, you know, because we believe when we go to God's word, there are always next steps, and I think there are two. One, for you, do you have sin that you're not dealing with? You're not alone. You're not unique. Confess your sin. Confess it to God. Confess it to somebody else. During this song, I'm going to be in the back left. If you want to come confess to me, I won't tell anybody else, I promise. And that's not a joke. You can come confess to me. If you're in group, you can grab somebody from group. You can even do that right now and confess to them. Confess your sin to God and to one another, right? And if again, you're here and you've never done this. You've never given your life to Christ. Today is the day of salvation. You are not too dirty. You are not too far gone. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants you. He has kept your tears in a bottle. He wants you. Come talk to me. I'd love to share with you how you can know Jesus and have eternal life. But then the second one, Maybe this is you. You need to forgive that person. You've been forgiven. You're only hurting yourself by holding on to unforgiveness. right? God will judge. He sees. He knows. You can release that. You can give that to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you that in your word you don't shy away from the truth of sin. Um, The theme of scripture is that we messed up our relationship with you because of sin. And that sin leads to death, eternal death, but also destructiveness now. Um, but Jesus, I believe, and I, I'm going to say it on behalf of the body here, all of us, we believe your promise of the abundant life. And we believe that that's one where the curse is diminished in our lives, where we're not sinless, but we sin less. That, that we start to experience more joy, more peace because of you in our lives and more victory over sin. God, I pray for every soul in this room. God, whatever it is you want to do, Holy Spirit, do it. If it's to convict of sin, convict them and and lead them to confess it to someone and truly repent. God, if it's unforgiveness, Holy Spirit, encourage them. You've got it. You know you care and you'll deal with it at the right time and they can trust you with it and then release it and receive your freedom. I just want to thank you for one thing. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for eternal life. We can't earn it, but Jesus, you earned it for us. We love you. In your name, amen.